The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, church, I want to begin this morning by asking you this question. What is the good life? How would you define that? How would you answer that question? What is the good life? And some people, you may answer that question by saying that the good life, it consists of being affluent or wealthy. That it's a life experienced by an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos or a Warren Buffett. And some of you, when you think of the good life, maybe it's sitting seaside on your private island resting in a hammock after an afternoon of yachting around the Caribbean. For some of you, that is the good life. Or, or maybe globetrotting and traveling to all the different countries in the world and experiencing all the cultures and the cuisines this world has to offer. For, for others, you might answer that question by saying that the good life is being successful in life. It's a life of prominence and productivity and accomplishments and, and leading out innovative Products and solutions. It's a life maybe like a Steve Jobs. Or maybe maybe the good life, it's, it's successful measured by how many people you help in this world. The, the disadvantaged, the impoverished, and the oppressed around the world. The good life for you may be defined by how much good you do in this world. Still others, right? You, you may say that the good life, it's not about all that other stuff, but it's about the relationships that I have. It, it's spending life with the people you love most. You, your picture of the good life is having your kids and your grandkids, maybe your great-grandkids uh, as your neighbors, or, or maybe better yet, buying some land and building a family compound of houses. You, you want your family close by. For some of you, maybe that's the good life. And, and, and maybe finally, for, uh, as last example, maybe for some of the introverts in the room, uh, maybe the good life, it consists not of a bunch of family around you, but of a quiet Saturday morning, alone reading a book with a coffee in hand, or, or, or maybe going solo backpacking uh, around the mountains. Maybe, maybe that is the good life. But, but how, I want to ask each one of you, don't, don't answer out loud, but how would you define and answer this question? What is the good life? You may have heard this story before, but, but Tom Brady, he is by all accounts one of the most successful people alive today. For those of you who don't know Tom Brady, which hopefully, uh, I don't know, maybe there are some uh, anti-sports people in the room. Uh, but So if you don't know Tom Brady, he, he is a recently retired football player. Maybe, maybe recently retired. We'll see. Uh, he may come back again. But, uh, but he's considered by most as the greatest of all time. He holds three regular season MVPs, five Super Bowl MVPs, and he has seven Super Bowl rings to his name. And he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And until recently, sadly, but until recently, he was married to a supermodel and the father of three children. But by all accounts, most would say, most in our world would say, now that's a good life. Yet in 2005, so it was about 17 years ago, when he was just coming up on his success, he was interviewed by a 60 Minutes reporter. And in this interview, he, he said this. He said, there are times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? 
I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what life is. I, I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, though, Tom Brady is saying, I think there's got to be more to this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? And so the interviewer then asks Tom Brady this follow-up question. He says, what's the answer? And Tom Brady replies, I I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You see, the thing is, Tom Brady, he's not that much different than most people in this world. And maybe some of you even in this room this morning who are searching for a meaning to it all. He just had the honesty and the courage to vocalize what many of us feel inside. There's got to be something more to this. There's got to be something greater out there for my life. Well, this morning in Psalm 34, as Don read earlier, we will see the Bible's answer to the pressing question of what is the good life? What is this life all about? What is my purpose in life? This morning, we will see that the good life, it it is one full of joy, full of peace, full of purpose. And we will see, this is my one sentence outline. I got one point for you this morning, and and this is it. The good life is a life that is satisfied in God. The good life is a life that is satisfied in God. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit, through the truth of your word, that you would stir our affections in these next 25 to 30 minutes for your son, Jesus. That we would leave this room this morning satisfied in you and loving you more than than when we did walking into this place. So I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would work, that you would move, that you would move powerfully. And that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. We pray this for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, look look with me at your Bibles. Psalm 34, verse 1. Notice in verse 1 what David says. That his blessing of God, his praising of God, his satisfaction in God, that it's two things. It's both resolute and that it's recurring. First, David's satisfaction in God is resolute. Notice what he says, I will bless the Lord when? When does does David say, I will bless the Lord when? At all times. David doesn't say, I will bless the Lord when times are good. No, no, this is the same heart of that of Job, right? You remember the story of Job after suffering a personal ailment and after having his children stripped away from him. What was Job's response? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed. Be the name of the Lord. And so to give a little bit of context here, your Bible, you know, if you have, I know I have an ESV Bible and you might have uh, something similar in your translation. But at the top of the psalm, your Bible may say something like this of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This, This psalm, it's written in the context of 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we don't have time to go back and look at it, but I'll summarize it for you. Uh, In 1 Samuel 21, David, he's on the run from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him, and he goes and finds refuge with the king of Gath. Yet when David arrives at Gath, the servants of the king, they perceive David to be this threat against the king. They, they, They heard the jingle that was going around, 
Saul, Saul killed his thousand, but David his tens of thousands. And so they perceived David to be this threat to the king. And so then to avoid certain death, David, it says in 1 Samuel 21, he changed his behavior before them and he pretended to be insane. If you've read through the Old Testament, this is maybe one of the more memorable stories uh, for you. But, but so David puts on this show and he pretends to be an insane madman. And in doing so, he's able to escape death from the king of Gath. And he runs away to the cave of Adulam. Adulam. And so most likely, David is writing this psalm in a cave, on the run for his life, both from Saul and the king of Gath. And he says this, church, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, now picture with me, what could be more anxiety ridden and fear producing and despairing than literally being on the run for your life? Let's, let's contemporize this. Just imagine Jason Bourne and the United States Army. They are out for you. They're on your trail. They're hunting you down. And, 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 and it's only a matter of days, it seems like. Right. Yet in this despairing situation, David's mouth, it's full of praise. Not, 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 yet not only does his mouth praise God, but even more, his heart, in verse 2 says, he says, my heart makes its boast in the Lord. In a cave, on the run, pursuers on his tail. And David's heart is not fixated on his precarious situation. No, his heart is focused on the preciousness of his God. How could this be? Well, we get a glimpse into David's heart and his heart being satisfied completely in God when we read these words from Psalm chapter 16, where he writes, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. Now, now I would doubt anyone would look at David's life in this moment, in his situation, and I doubt anyone would say, now that's the good life. I want to be on the run for my life like David is right now. But for David, he found his good in his God, his satisfaction in his Savior. And therefore, whatever may come his way, because he knew that, that God alone, he is my rock, he is my salvation, my fortress. David knew, I shall not be shaken. Listen, the good life, it is a life that is unshakably satisfied in God, regardless of life's circumstances, in prosperity and in pain, in health and in hardship, in calm and in calamity. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So I just want to ask you, church, is this true of your life? Has the glory and the grace of your God unshakably satisfied your heart and your soul? Such that the boasting of your heart, it isn't pridefully boasting in your successes on, on one side or, or on the other hand with self-pity bemoaning your misery. But no, no matter what may come in life, success or pain, your boast is in the Lord of glory and in the God of all grace. In the Rolling Stones famous song, Satisfaction, there, there's a recurring refrain, refrain that says this. I can't get no satisfaction. Some of you are singing the song right now, uh, right? Because I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no, I can't get no. 
And I think that song, that refrain, signifies and symbolizes what many of us, maybe in this room, but what many in this world are searching for in life. You're searching for satisfaction to fulfill the desires of your heart. But, but for some of us in this room, and for many, if your heart is restless, if your soul is anxious, it's because you're trying to find satisfaction in the things of this world. But no matter how hard you try, and you try, and you try, you can't get no satisfaction. Because listen, you were created to find your heart's satisfaction, not in the things of this world, but rather in the God who created you. Augustine, he once famously said, Oh Lord, you have made us for your own, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So again, I want to ask, who is the object of your satisfaction? And I'm not asking whether you fulfilled your religious duties this past week. No, no, is your heart satisfied in God and in God above all else? Are your affections white hot in worship for Jesus? Have you come to taste and see that he is good and that your God is better than anything else this world could ever offer? Is he the source, the goal, the means, and the end of your joy? And that he brings more joy to your heart than the good things of this world. Than your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your sports team, money, success, whatever that is, you fill in the blank. Now listen, these things, they're, they're good things. They're good gifts from God. But the thing is, the things of this world, the good gifts of God that he gives us, they were never meant to be ultimate in our lives. Someone once said uh, that idolatry is when we take a good thing and we try to make it a God thing. So listen, the enjoyments of this life, they were intended to supplement our joy, but they were never meant to be the source of our joy. When we seek to find things in this world for that to be the source of our joy, then that's when a good thing tries to become a God thing. And that's when that good thing becomes idolatry within our hearts. Because John Piper, he writes this, he said, the deepest longing of the human heart is to know and to enjoy the glory of God. We were made for this, to see, to savor it, and to show it. That's why we exist. And so listen, church, nothing less than this, than knowing and enjoying the glory of God, nothing less than this can truly satisfy our souls. That's why John Piper, he would go on to pen what, I, what has been one of the most influential sentences that I have ever read in my life, and that is this. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I know there's a common phrase that goes around a lot, and it goes something kind of like this. That God's goal for our lives, it's not to make us happy, but it's to make us holy. Has anybody ever heard something like that before, right? God's goal is not to make us happy, it's to make us holy. And listen, I can understand the idea behind it. However, while well-intended, I think this notion can at times maybe hinder true growth in the Christian life. Because listen, God's glory and your happiness, they're not at odds with one another. God's not some cosmic killjoy sitting up on his throne demanding that you glorify him by ridding your life of all the pleasures and the enjoyments of this life. God's goal is, yes, to make us holy. But the way 
we become holy is by finding our happiness in him. Or to put it another way, God's goal is to make us holy by making us happy in him. You, you might know the name George Mueller. If you don't, uh, he was a pastor who, who also led, uh, founded and led many orphanages within the 19th century in England. And, and never once did George Mueller ever ask for money or for support. He, he depended wholly upon God to provide every need for all of these orphaned children. He was a great man of prayer and a great man of faith. And so you might be asking, well, how did he come to be this way? What was most instrumental for him to be this man of faith? And he said this, he said, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. He goes on to say that the secret for all true effectual service is joy in God, having experimental acquaintance in fellowship with God himself. Not the notion of God, not the idea of God, but the person of God himself. And, and so listen, we, we've looked at Piper, we, uh, what Piper has to say, we've looked at what George Mueller has to say, but, but, but more importantly, we need to see what, what does the Bible say about this? Well, the Bible commands that we find our joy in God. Listen to Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so the problem isn't that our, 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 our joy and our pleasure is too little. The problem is that we don't seek our pleasure and our joy in God himself. It, Psalm 37, 4 would say this, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, O you upright in heart. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And then Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And that's just but a sampling. Our highest duty in life, your highest duty in life, is finding your joy in God, because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The way we showcase God's glory is by showing others through how we feel, through how we speak, through how we act, through the way we spend our money and our time, through the way we love that God is greater and more precious to us than anything else this world could offer. Someone once told me, unfortunately, after I shared the gospel with them, this person said that the reason he didn't feel the need to follow Jesus is because he didn't really see a real difference between his life and the lives of the Christians around him. Now, I think that's an excuse, maybe a cop-out, right? But, but may that not be said of us here at New Life Baptist Church. Rather, may we be a people who are so enraptured by the greatness and the glory in the grace of our God, such that people see a tangible difference about our lives. They see how our lives have been transformed by Jesus and his gospel, and that he is our highest affection 
in our lives. And so this then leads to the final observation from our passage this morning. We've seen verses 1 and 2 that we're to find our satisfaction in God. But then verse 3 we see that when we are satisfied in God, this leads us to invite others to find their satisfaction in him as well. So notice with me verse 3. Notice the shift of language, how it goes from the personal to the corporate. David says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And notice also verse 8 where he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He, he, He extends the invitation to all to come and see this great God. And so if you joined us last Wednesday, and shameless plug, I invite you to join us this next Wednesday if you are not providentially hindered. But if you joined us last Wednesday, we talked about how we can become more confident and effective in our evangelism. But listen, church, the way we become most effective in evangelism, the way we become most effective in our study of God's word, and the way we become most effective in growing in obedience and in edifying one another and in, in, uh, following Jesus, the, mo- the most effective way is having a heart that is satisfied in God. Having our hearts happy in God. Because what did Jesus say? From the overflow of what? Our hearts, what? The mouth speaks. So when that happens, when our hearts are satisfied in God, then what will flow from our mouths is something along the lines of this. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, now there are two ways... And then verse three, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now that word magnify can be it can be a tricky word, right? There are two ways you can magnify something, right? You can use a microscope. And when you magnify something with a microscope, what do you do? You make something appear bigger than it actually is. But that's not what David is saying here. When he says, magnify the Lord with me. We're not called to conjure up some sentimental feelings about God to try to make him what he is not. No, we are called here to magnify God in a way that the telescope does with the universe, right? It brings something into view for us to marvel at, to to be amazed at, something that is so unspeakably great and vast. A telescope takes that and brings it into our view such that we can experience and we can interact with this great thing. And this is what it means for us to magnify the Lord. For us together, to, to come together and to bring into view, to remind ourselves of the greatness and the vastness and the glory and the omnipotence and the sovereignty and the grace of our Lord. And to say together, come church, magnify the Lord with me. That's the whole reason why we gather this morning is to magnify the Lord and to exalt his name together. Or maybe to put it in another way, as Isaiah 40 said in our call to worship, we are, call, come, we are called to come together to behold our God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so I just want to ask, is this the chief aim, the highest aim of your life? What is the object of your satisfaction? What is the object of your fulfillment, your comfort, your peace, your rest, your completion, your purpose in life? I invite you to come to taste and see that the Lord, he is good and he can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart.
So I hope maybe you've seen the what and the why, but maybe you're asking now, okay, that sounds great, but practically how do I find my satisfaction in the Lord? I'll give you three, three, three ways that we can find our satisfaction in God. And the first is the most fundamental. And that is by being awakened to spiritual life. This is what we call conversion. Jesus in John 6, 35, he said this about himself. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so when someone encounters Jesus for the first time and when they place their faith in Jesus for salvation, the Bible says that you are awakened to new spiritual life. And central to this new spiritual life is that when you're made new, the Holy Spirit, he gives you new sight and new desires in life. So, so whereas before you were a follower of Jesus, your heart, maybe you yawned at Jesus. Now, after becoming a Christian, after being made alive, your soul is made alive to the glory and the goodness and the grace of your Savior. When you are converted, you are brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And when you become a Christian, you are given new spiritual sight to see Jesus for who he truly is. He is full of grace and truth. And as a Christian, you now see that in reality with your eyes, with the eyes of your heart. So you're given new sight, but you're also, the Bible says, given new desires. And these new desires now, in your new desires now, they are to feast upon the bread of life. And whom is all your soul's delight? Now, right, after beginning new desires, you enjoy spending time with him in fellowship through prayer and through God's word. You, you desire to abide with him throughout your day. You desire to live for what brings him most glory. And you desire to love Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because you have seen through the cross and resurrection that he has loved you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you are awakened to this truth, to the truth of the gospel, and you're given new spiritual life, you're given new sight and new desire to find your satisfaction in Jesus. Emily and I, we, we attended a wedding last evening. And, and so just think with me real quick. What, what if this couple, this man and this woman, what, what if they only married one another out of duty? And what if this guy, when he was reciting his vows to his wife, you know, standing on the stage, he says something like this. I will love you because it is my duty and obligation to love you. <laughs> now, does that bless and does that like little G, but does that bring glory to his new wife? <laughs> no, not at all, right? What, what brings glory to his new wife is when he says, I love you with all of my heart, my entire being, and I rejoice that you are now my wife, right? And so I now gladly commit all that I am and all that I have to you. Listen, church, this is what it means to be a Christian. We don't follow Jesus out of duty. We follow Jesus out of delight because we are awakened to this new spiritual life because we have received and we have experienced the great love of Jesus for us such that now our response to him from a heart of love and a heart of delight and a heart that is satisfied in him is something like this. Lord Jesus, I love you with all of my heart my entire being, and I rejoice that you are now my Savior. And so I gladly commit my all and everything I have to you. And so listen, if you've never experienced something like this, if you've never been given 
the gift of the new birth, then I invite you to come to Jesus today. Because listen, you can know about Jesus and not personally know Jesus. If you come from, to him today, if you turn from your sin, you can receive full forgiveness and you can experience this new life in Jesus. You can be made alive and you can find your heart's satisfaction in him. So that's the first way. The first way we have a heart that's satisfied in Jesus is by being awakened to spiritual life. But, but secondly, the next way we can be satisfied, we, we grow in being satisfied in Jesus, is by being awakened from our spiritual slumber. And, and, and this happens through repentance. And so maybe you would say that, yes, you are a Christian, but that, yes, if you're honest, it, it has been a long time since your heart has been satisfied in Jesus. Sure, yes, you've busied yourself in service to him. You've read your Bible lately and prayed. You've done all the things you're supposed to do. But but if you're honest, you you would say that you are seeking the things of this world and not Jesus to satisfy your heart. And, And so if that is you this morning, then I want to invite you today to come, taste, and see that your Lord, he is good. Come, repent of your adultery with the world and return to him this morning. In church, to be honest, I I have had to do this in my own heart in preparing for this sermon to repent, Lord. Lord, forgive me for areas I have been seeking the things of this world and not seeking you. And so maybe the sermon is for me and you're a beneficiary of it. But, But no matter how far you have run from the Lord, listen, he will have you back. If you would return to him. And so I encourage you to awaken from your spiritual slumber to find your rest in him today. And then thirdly, finally, how do we become, how do we grow in becoming satisfied in Jesus? Being awakened to spiritual life, being awakened from our spiritual slumber. And then finally, we are satisfied in Jesus by being awakened to spiritual truth. And that is through meditating on God's word. The the Psalms, they're full of exhortations for us to meditate on God through his word, right? Here's just a couple. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Or or my favorite Psalm chapter one. Uh, Our our kids, they just finished memorizing this and and it's pretty cute. That's how they say some of of them, uh, some of the phrases. But but, but, but Psalm one, it goes something like this. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And, and so listen, brothers and sisters, the Bible, this book, it's not just another book that we are to study, like the great books of antiquity, like, like the Iliad or the Odyssey or, or some of those other ancient books. No, this Bible, it is a window through which we see and we glimpse and we're able to savor the glory of God. We're able to see his weightiness and his splendor. And the Apostle Paul would put it this way, that when we behold God's glory, we are changed by his glory. The greatest change agent in the Christian life is beholding the glory of God. And so that's why I want to encourage you that before you spend time in personal study of his word, that you pray Psalm 119.18. Maybe just jot that down if you're taking notes. Just jot down Psalm 119.18. 
And, and I prayed with, uh, prayed it before the sermon, but it goes something like this. Open my hot eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. And I encourage you to join in with Moses, with what Moses asked. when he said, please show me your glory. Every time before you read his word, every time before you study his word, pray those two things. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word and show me your glory in this time. And again, just on a practical note, if you're interested in doing this, but you don't quite know how to study God's word and maybe meditate on his word, I invite you to join us this Wednesday. Uh, this Wednesday, we're going to, to look at a passage of scripture and together we're going to study it. And together we're going to meditate on the truth of God's word. I want to end by, asking, by, by what, uh, asking you the same question I asked you at the very beginning. Are you living the good life? Is your heart satisfied in your Savior? If so, I want to encourage you, continue pressing in to know your Lord. For he is an inexhaustible and infinite source of satisfaction. But if not, I encourage you this morning to either come to him for the very first time or to return to him. Jesus said this, he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.